Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. By most measures, New York City is coming back. The city that never sleeps is slowly waking up from its pandemic nap, crawling out of its COVID-19 hole. But what does the future hold? How long is this going to take till we get back to what it felt like uh, 15 months ago? Disasters never go away. They become part of a community. This week on 880 In-Depth, a conversation about the prospects of New York City returning to the New York we all knew. It's going to be, a, in my opinion, a roaring 20s uh, of a recovery starting uh, this summer into the fall. Welcome to 880 In Depth. I'm Tim Scheld from WCBS News Radio 880, and it's hard to find someone more bullish on New York these days than NYU professor of urban planning and policy Mitchell Moss. But real estate executive Scott Reckler, he's the one expecting a roaring 20s like recovery to begin this summer. He told us the recovery's already underway. What we have seen is particularly the, the uh, young talent pool are coming back to Manhattan. I mean, if you go back um, since the end of last year, we've seen an, a tremendous spike in the amount of, uh, of, of people renting apartments. We've had actually six consecutive months of the most leasing activity since 2008. Um, and so this is, this is people saying, we want to be back in New York. More from Reckler coming up later. He tackles questions like, will we ever fill up our office towers in Manhattan again? And what happens to those buildings if we don't? Reckler runs RxR Realty, a real estate giant that does business across New York State. He's also a regional planning expert who served on the MTA board and was once vice chairman of the Port Authority. When Scott Reckler speaks, people listen. But first, we wanted to hear from NYU's Mitchell Moss about getting New York back to work. He met up with our Peter Haskell this week in Manhattan. The city's commercial heart is still beating, but beating slowly. What is it going to take to get back to where it was? New York City will recover, but it's going to be a slow and painful recovery. The first challenge is we've got to get the city's population vaccinated. People have to know that when they get into an elevator, the next person standing close to them has been vaccinated. We've got to make sure that this city has vaccinated as many as it possibly can. 
and we have had a lag recently in the number of people being vaccinated each day, we've got to reach out for even more. Uh, the second big challenge, and I think this is something even more important, is that people have to feel good about going to work. I think people are going to be thrilled eventually to get out of their house, to go to a baseball game, to be outdoors, but to be indoors is different. Underlying everything else, we're going to have to make the offices healthier and less dense. If we can do that, I think people are going to be very comfortable at work. I think the third big challenge is we have to restore faith in mass transit. We've got to bring mass transit back. We have basically two million people a day on the subway. For the first time ever, people are buying in cars in record numbers in New York. We've seen car ownership go up because people view the car as their ultimate personal protection equipment. We've got to do more to make people realize that the subways are not only held from healthy, but they're safe. There's been a surge in vulnerability on the subway. As there have been fewer people on the trains, people feel less safe. If we don't get riders up, we're not going to get safety back. All the police in the world cannot patrol the over 440 different subway stations. So we have got to make sure that ridership comes back. And I think that's going to be very difficult, especially because there is now a recognition that you don't have to come in every day to work, that you might come in three or four days a week. Certainly the suburban worker is going to find out that they can take Friday and work at home. They've already gotten used to being at home five days a week, maybe at home two days a week and come in three days a week. So the challenge is, what's the new ecology of the office district? Well, I think there are three things that's going to happen. One, we're going to have the office still be a center for interaction, for meetings, for high-level decision-making, but it's not going to be a a five-day-a-week office. The second big change is that we're going to see people coming in from further and further distances. We have got people who've relocated to the Hudson Valley, to the Cherry Valley, to to even Wayne County, Pennsylvania. The commuting shed for New York is going to get bigger, but they're all going to rely on New York because the incomes are better in New York City, and the island of Manhattan is still going to be the hub for global business services. The question is, what about our infrastructure? Will people jam the roads? They'll be too crowded. So we've got to bring people back onto the mass transit and the commuter rail systems. If we can get the offices to be healthy, people to be vaccinated, and to make our mass transit system reliable and, I think, safe, our recipe for the future is good. But getting all those together is not going to be done overnight. And I think there's a great amount of fiction being perpetuated on New Yorkers The mayors, the people running for mayor are telling a great tale, but it's a fantasy. We lost 600,000 jobs. They're not going to come back in one year. At best, we get 100,000 jobs back each year. So building this economy back has got to be a priority. And it can't be done just with government money, because the federal money that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden have given us is going to run out in two years. So we're going to have to find a way to bring back small business, bring back entrepreneurs. You know, without people working in the office, there are no people delivering food to those restaurants. There's not enough people cleaning the buildings. There's not enough people selling all kinds of services at lunchtime. So the underlying part of the economy is getting people to come to work. If we get people to come to work, then we're going to find out there's more money in the economy and more jobs. But the essence of creating jobs is that government doesn't create jobs. It creates the conditions for jobs. The mayoral candidates are telling people something that is completely false. The city does not create the jobs. The jobs are created because people start businesses and expand businesses. And that's what makes New York different than other places. That's what I want to ask you about, though. If people come in three days a week instead of five days a week, if offices, if companies say, I can shrink my footprint 
and save money. How does the ecosystem survive? Restaurants, yeah. stores, okay. etc. Well, I think this is why it's so important to realize that the Bloomberg administration, which really made tourism a big part of its economic agenda, understood something. There's nothing better than bringing someone to New York who spends money earned elsewhere here. We had 60 million people a year coming to New York. The airports are empty, at least with, there are no foreign travelers here. So we've got to bring back the city as a global destination. And on the short term, we've got to make it a local and regional destination. We have to recognize that the outdoor facilities of New York are healthy. People should be going to the Bronx Zoo, to the New York Aquarium, certainly to the baseball you know, games that are outdoors. This city is filled with parks that people love visiting. In fact, if you go to Paris, you go to the parks, there's no reason why we can't bring Central Park, Prospect Park, and Van Cortlandt Park, as well as the High Line and Governor's Island, into our tourist economy. So, in a way, we have to think about tourism not just as going to the Broadway theater. Not everyone's going to want to sit for four hours next to someone they don't know and breathing someone there they don't know either. So I think that the outdoor recreation part of New York is going to have to become a big priority. Right now, it's a kind of a stepchild to kind of the theater industry. It's interesting that there's talk about what the commercial districts will look like, and yet there are plans for these mega towers. So a couple of things. The companies that move there, where, are, where do they come from, and what happens to the buildings they were in? Well, you know, the big firms like big buildings, and that's why Google, for example, which is now over in the old Port Authority building on 9th Avenue and 15th Street, is expanding to Houston Street. So big firms, big buildings, and they like having people nearby. I think this is true whether you're doing Apple in Cupertino, California, or whether you're doing you know, Google in New York, and I think that there's still a preference for getting all the new kind of infrastructure in a building you can, sometimes in an older building. However, we will have to shrink some of the secondary offices. We've done this before. New York City took the old manufacturing districts, you know, with publishing and printing was, and they turned them around into kind of residential areas. We, you know, people don't realize Soho was once a very undesirable manufacturing district. Now it's a very cool area. So one thing we know how to do is we know how to recycle physical property, and I think we're going to see more of that. One of the growth industries, though, certainly education and medical institutions. You know, the entire corridor, First Avenue Medical Institutions, from NYU all the way up to Sloan Kettering and then the aging New York Hospital, they're all moving east, and they're taking over those older buildings. So this is a very unusual dynamic economy. Some of the people who are vacating are being replaced by people who are expanding because the economy doesn't stand still. So we're going to have a much more health-oriented economy. I think we're going to have a much more education-oriented economy. One of the great things New York has to do is to get immigration back on the agenda. Without immigration and refugees, New York will not be able to flourish. And we have seen, ever since the Trump administration took office, a decline in the number of refugees. People want to be in New York. You know, I have students who come to NYU, and they want to stay in New York. They don't want to go home. They go home. They can't go out at night. They have to have someone escort them. You know, New York's great. great. It's still got an appeal around the globe. And so we're going to have to open up refugees. I think the hope for New York is not going to be with firms expanding. It's bringing in the energy of entrepreneurial immigrants, and they will help save New York. They always do. You talk about energy. It makes me think of downtown post-9-11. People said downtown was dead. Prices came down. New people came in. There was energy and dynamism. Do we need something like that again? Well, after 9-11, 
No one thought anyone would even work in Manhattan, particularly not downtown. I remember the stench of the subway with all that kind of residual air, which had been kind of filthy. Denied by, of course, the EPA's Christy Whitman. What we have now is a much worse problem because it's across the city there's a sense of both 600,000 people unemployed, we've had a large number of deaths, and we've had a lot of people who've got the disease or long haulers. The question is, do we have the public leadership to take us through? We were very fortunate during the Bloomberg administration. He immediately said we have to reinvent downtown. We can't bring back banking. We have to bring a new life there. So they invested in parks and schools. So when the economy is weak is when the government has to be strong and bold and creative. And we haven't seen this in New York City. I think we were very slow in closing down the city. We certainly failed to teach our elementary school children when we should have. We may have a lost generation if they don't get educated. But so, yes, this is going to be a challenge for the next mayor and the next set of leaders. Because remember, government doesn't do it by itself. It does it because there's all these other nonprofits and profit-making groups who have a stake here. Why do I believe in New York? For one reason. It's the only city which offers the density of face-to-face communications. It's not like any other place. The density is what draws people here, and it's a constant source of stimulation, no matter what your interest. Music, food, dance, you know, we have, you know, karate, we have activities that support almost every interest. So New York is a magnet for people from around the country. Certainly if you're creative and smart and you're living somewhere like Utica or Schenectady, you're going to come to New York. But we have people who want to be in New York because it's so different from where they were. And what makes New York different is its tolerance. There's no dominant culture. You know, even the wealthy in New York don't drive around in limousines as they do in L.A. L.A. is the center for the Rolls Royce. In New York, it isn't. You know, what we have to do is to understand that New York has to work for everyone or it works for no one. In case you haven't heard, vehicle traffic is picked up in and around Manhattan. Delays are becoming more common in mornings and afternoon rush hours during weekdays. Yet we also heard a report this week from Bloomberg News that said fewer than 14% of workers in the New York metropolitan area were back at their desks as of April 7th. That's according to the data crunching from Castle Systems. We're also hearing mass transit ridership, suburban rails, PATH, and New York City subways. While growing each week, their ridership is still way down. Evidence, the New York City Transit Authority reporting this week that 2.1 million subway rides occurred on April 23rd. That's the biggest daily number since the pandemic began, but well short of the 5.5 million average weekday rides before the pandemic. What does that tell you? I think people are nervous. They're nervous about getting on a train where they don't know the people. They're nervous about the kind of vulnerability they have. I think we now know that the way in which the pandemic spreads is by sustained social interaction, much more common at a wedding or a funeral than on a subway car or a path car. And the automobile has given people kind of a safety. It's a feeling of, I'm, I'm by myself. And I'm not going to catch anything from anyone because no one's sitting next to me. And that's why ridership is up. In addition, ridership is up because people aren't commuting five days a week. So when they want to go somewhere, you know, they're willing to take a car and go two twice and they may stay longer in their office or they may have the willingness to spend that kind of money parking because they're not spending on a monthly pass. How do you convince people, take NJ Transit, take the Long Island Railroad, take Metro North, take PATH? 
you know, I don't think it's going to be convincing people. It's going to be growing a habit. We have, you know, commuting is a habit. You've got to bring back that habit, and you do that by making sure that people know that one, they're going to be with people who are vaccinated. I think that's going to be an important part. Uh, you know, we have to secondly have to recognize that you know the work habit of the suburban commuter is not going to be coming in five days the way it used to be. Some will, some won't, and I think we're, we're going to have to recognize that you know. People have to be told that the air filtration in subways and commuter rail is very strong today. It's very good. Certainly a lot better than some of those old elevators you ride, you know, in buildings in New York. So so we're going to have to educate people about the conditions in which they're traveling when they're on mass transit or commuter rail. And I think the other part is that it's when we get enough people vaccinated that people feel comfortable being with other people. I have a very good measure. If people feel comfortable seeing the Knicks, who are winning... Uh, and they're going to go to the garden, then I think they're going to find out they're going to be comfortable coming to the office and going on mass transit. It's, we can see this spring, people are out, right. whether it's nice, restaurants, parks. So what does this summer look like in the city, and what does the fall look like? Well, I think Governor Cuomo has done a wise thing. He's opening up the, the ratio of people who can be at a baseball game, going to an office or an event. Yeah, I think there's going to be a surge of people who are thrilled to stand online, to have dinner, to go to a bar. You know, I saw Washington Square Park this weekend was jammed with people. You know, there was not that much social distancing, but there was a sense that they were safe because outdoor air tends to kind of diffuse some of those kind of uh, risks. So I think, you know, outdoor space is going to be popular. We've got to make the parks and the outdoor space safe. And I think once people get used to being with people, then and coming to work will be something that will start in the fall. I think it's more likely than people kind of suddenly returning in mass amounts in the summer. How long is this going to take till we get back to what it felt like uh, 15 months ago? Disasters never go away. They become part of a community. We have to recognize that even 9-11 is residual. We see the bollards in front of buildings. We see everybody carrying a pass around their neck. So underlying the disaster is the fact that it stays as part of a person's lifestyle. It pays as part of a community's lifestyle. And we're going to see that there's a much greater attention to public health. Certainly we're going to find out that, you know, vaccines... It was good, but you're going to get a booster shot eventually. And I think we're going to be much more attentive to public health. And I think that's a good thing because we've, we were too casual. We kind of took it for granted that, you know, pandemics would not come back. Well, they did. And I think that, so one, there is no going back to normal. It's a new normal. And that's going to be true in how we do things and where we go. I think it will take a long time before international travel comes back to New York. But in the interim, that means we have to bring people from the region into New York and from the rest of the country. Remember, most of the nation is not going to go to Europe because Europe is not fully vaccinated. So we have to make New York a destination as it once was. Mitchell, anything else you want to add? I am amazed at how many New Yorkers have stayed in New York have shown their commitment, they've stayed in their communities. Vast portions of this city's out-of-borough communities have been able to adapt and thrive. The place that's seen the pain, apart from, I think, western Queens and parts of southern you know, Brooklyn and parts of the Bronx, has been the devastation of having no one working in the core of Manhattan. And until that comes back, the city's going to have problems. RxR Realty bills itself as a leading real estate owner, investor, operator, and developer committed to building socially, economically, and environmentally responsible communities. 
the chairman and CEO, Scott Reckler, is particularly bullish on New York's recovery, and we wanted to hear why. He spoke to our Peter Haskell. The commercial centers of Manhattan are quiet now. What's your assessment of the landscape now? I think that when President Biden announced that there was going to be, uh, by July 4th, any American that wanted to be vaccinated could be vaccinated, it was a game changer as to how companies thought about getting back into the workplace. Prior to that, they were tentative. There were a lot of false starts. This gave them a concrete date. And uh, since that, that announcement, we've seen uh, an activation of, uh, of most of our tenants and uh, many of the large employers in New York planning to bring people back to the workplace between now and then I would say the bulk of the people by uh, Labor Day. Um, now, coming back to the workplace isn't going to be what it was pre-pandemic. Uh, it will be different. There'll be a new normal to what that is. And uh, there'll be some mix of working remotely as well as working uh, in, in the office, uh, but I think that, that people are anxious to get back uh, to the office place. You're a landlord. What are you saying? Do tenants want less space? Do they want more space? Do they want differently configured space? What are you hearing? Yeah, what we're hearing is they want to um, get the best of what the workplace is all about, which is a sense of community camaraderie, support groups, mentorship for people to come uh, together as a, and, and have a chance to work as a, as a team, uh, you know, be able to collaborate and ideation that, that, that's been missing, but also recognize that there's some value of uh, being able to work remotely uh, selectively. And so I think you're going to see more of a hybrid work environment where people are working uh, in the office three or four days a week and working remotely um, the, the balance of that time. Uh, but when they are in the office, they're not going to be sitting in there at, at their desks uh, doing video conferences. It's going to be much more about uh, engaging with each other, um, more um, activation of programming and, and coming together uh, as a team. It, let's face it, the, when you think about it and you talk to the employees, they had to work at home because it was a crisis, right? It was a, but it wasn't meant to be a way of life. And working at home it actually felt like they were living at work, not working at home. There was no beginning. There was no end of the day. For employers, you know, they began to realize that you, know, you can play defense when you have your team working at home for some period of time, but you can't play offense. You can maintain the status quo, but you can't grow your business effectively. And so um, you know, the, the, the goal here now is to reimagine um, the workplace in the new normal of the more with this, this hybrid flexible where you get the best of both. When you talk about this flexibility, two companies need the same size footprint as they did before. Yeah, I think that um, it's, it's going to be beyond the size of the footprint. I think there's also going to have to be a reimagination of what the space is. Uh, the spaces are going to be more curated and designed to encourage engagement. So instead of big conference rooms, there'll be more like living room areas where people are out together. There's going to be more of of, of a mix of workplaces and sitting areas uh, so that there's more uh, in, you know, uh, instantaneous uh, ideation opportunities and, and, and collaboration opportunities. So there's, there's going to be a, a, a shifting in what that workplace is, but no one knows exactly what, what the outcome is. And so people are going to bring people back to the workplace. We've brought back 90% of our people. People are going to be, you know, there's some excitement and also anxiety to start with. We'll get that all will settle down, and then I think companies are going to take a step back and say, okay, what do I really need 
in terms of uh, my main headquarters, what do I need in terms of remote work or satellite offices uh, to get the, the, the best mix of people working uh, in the workplace and working uh, remotely. There are questions about the commute and how many people want to travel how far. And so I, I guess, will companies set up suburban outposts with office space there, or do they want people to come in, or they don't want more office space in more places? It, it, they'll, they'll, I think there's some mix of, of, of uh, uh, strategies that companies are thinking about how people work remotely. Some are providing stipends for companies to have home for people to have home offices. Some are providing stipends for people to take flexible workplaces so they don't have to work at home, but there's a place locally close to where they work. And some are looking at satellite offices where they have concentration uh, of people. Um, you know, generally, though, that what we have seen is particularly the the uh, young talent pool are coming back to Manhattan. I mean, if you go back um, since the end of last year, we've seen an, a tremendous spike in the amount of, uh, of, of people renting apartments. We've had actually six consecutive months of the most leasing activity since 2008. Um, and so this is, this is people saying, we want to be back in New York. Uh, and, and yes, prices are lower, so they're taking advantage of lower prices. But because of that, they have an opportunity to be here. We're even seeing that in the luxury sales market, in, in uh, luxury home sales uh, in, in Manhattan, uh, which is $4 million and above. It's on its 12th consecutive week, of over 30 contracts signed per week. As a matter of fact, last week, we had 56 contracts signed uh, in Manhattan and over, 46, over $4 million. So what that tells you is people want to be back in New York. They see this as a buying opportunity because pricing is down right now but they're committed to the future of New York. And, and CBDs like New York, that what really drives their success is talent. And so when you see the talent making commitments to come back uh, to Manhattan and New York City, uh, that's a green shoot of what you're gonna see in the office market. And frankly, you know, in the, in the, I would say the last um, 30, 45 days, we've already seen significant increase of, uh, of activity uh, in the office market of tenants, uh, you know, new requirements coming into the marketplace, you know, almost 20% new requirements coming to the, the, the marketplace in this, in this short period uh, of time. Leasing activity in the first quarter was up 80% over the last quarter of, of last year. Um, and, and, and we've seen, you know, particularly in the technology sector, uh, more and more uh, companies uh, coming to the marketplace uh, in, even just in the first two weeks of April. Geographically, what do you see the growth in your business? Yeah, so you know, I think in, in this post-COVID recovery, um, New York is going to flourish through a regional lens, um, where if you go back and look through history, there was a point where there was urban flight and people went to the suburbs. Then there was a point where the city thrived and the suburbs didn't. I think that there's going to be much more of a symbiotic relationship between uh, New York City and, and the region around New York City to find the right balance of where people can live affordably, have the right quality of life, have great access to public transportation back to the city, um, and, and we can grow more effectively. Remember, before this pandemic, our city was strained. Our infrastructure was strained, our housing was unaffordable, our streets were congested. And so when we come out of the pandemic on the other side, we wanna reimagine what, the, the, what this city should be and what this region should be. And I think by taking a, a more regional approach and thinking about the, the uh, suburbs around New York City as part of the overall ecosystem of our growth, 
uh, we will all do better because of it. It's interesting because you talk about this this interest in people coming back to the office. There was talk before about commercial buildings being converted to residential. So two things. One, is that viable? And two, based on what you say, will that be necessary? That's a, a very good, good point here. The, the, what, what you've also seen is there is a flight to quality. So while people want to come back to offices and we've seen a big increase in activity of tenants looking at space, they're looking at class A space. And what's that? That space with the the, um, the infrastructure to ensure the health and wellness, the air quality, uh, light and air. Uh, it's a space that are in uh, locations that have uh, vibrant communities around them, restaurants, uh, activities, streetscapes, parks. It's a place that's close to public transportation, so it's easy to get to. And that's where a lot of the, the uh, companies are looking to grow. What that means is that the more commodity space, mid-block buildings that don't have that great infrastructure, aren't that well-located, they don't have a lot of demand. So in an ideal world, uh, you would see those buildings converted to uh, residential, increase our supply of residential, which then would reduce the overall cost for people to live here, and create more 24-7 live, work, play environments. Uh, and a great example of where that's worked well in New York City is Lower Manhattan. After 9-11, a lot of those older office buildings were converted to residential. And downtown, which used to be a a five-day-a-week, nine-to-five uh, community has become a 24-7 vibrant neighborhood with a mix of office, residential, retail, uh, lifestyle, restaurants, etc. Ideally, you'd like to see that happen uh, in Midtown uh, as well, and, and to the extent that we can accelerate it with, uh, with uh, zoning initiatives and public policies to help um, make that to happen more quickly, the better off we're all going to be. You talk about a reimagining of the office. If people aren't coming in every day, if there's not that traffic in Midtown, for example, how do these restaurants and stores and other things that drive the economy, how do they stay afloat? So, so that, 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 there's two things, right? One, we've obviously, unfortunately, a large loss of our restaurants in New York, right? So we have a, you know, now... Uh, you know, probably 30% of our restaurants in Manhattan have have not made it through this pandemic. So there's already a reduction in supply. But long term, the answer is creating those uh, those mixed live life, live work, play environments like Lower Manhattan. So when there's not just people in the office buildings supporting the restaurants, it's the people that are living in Midtown that are also supporting those restaurants, and that's what's worked well in downtown. Um, and then it becomes a, a um, itself a magnet for other people in New York to come to the restaurants and to the stores and to the nightlife and to, you know, Rock Center during the, the winter time and seeing the Christmas tree or to the parks on the west side. Um, so it, we need to, again, that's that reimagining. We just, and I think it's going to be something that we need to be intentional about um, and, and, and make sure we put the right level of, uh, of programming in place to go through this transformation just like we did with Lower Manhattan. There are clearly people who, who are desperate to get out of their houses and get back to the office, but there are other people who say, I don't, I don't want to spend an hour in my car each way, not only five days a week, but three days a week. Do you think people will commute? And what do you think the commute is going to look like? 
so I, I, I think the, um, just so you know, we, we began to bring people back to our office. We started at 25%, went to 50%. When we had 50%, there was enough energy of people here that those that weren't in the office wanted to be back in the office. And then when you were back in the office, you realized how much you missed um, being in the office. Because what has happened to the workplace, particularly um, with the younger generation, this has become their community. This has become their support group. Uh, this is where they meet their, their their friends. This is where they meet their their future spouses. Uh, this is where they in, in, engage. And so um, people have, have really had a void in their life, and I'm not sure that until you're back in the workplace you can appreciate it. So I do think the first thing I'll say is that I think once people start coming back, um, that those that have concerns uh, or say they don't want to you know commute are going to feel less concerned and are going to, that commute's going to be worth being made. And it's going to be incumbent about companies and office building owners to make that commute worth being made. I mean, just think about when e-commerce happened. If you could buy everything on the, on, online, why would you ever go to a mall? You started to go to malls again because the malls was an outing for you. So it was worth getting in your car. It was worth making the trip. It was worth going to that restaurant, seeing that movie, being entertained and engaged. Um, and that's where office buildings are going to have to be. They're going to have to make them, them magnetic to bring people back. Now, what does this mean to the commute? Even if it, it is this hybrid environment that I described, and it averages three or four days a week, clearly it's going to have an impact on our transit system. We're going to have to rethink through uh, what the programming for the transit system is to be able to deal with a different level of, uh, of activity. Um, and, and that's something that's going to have to, again, um, recalibrate and reset once we have better clarity as to where things settle down. We've seen a lot about uh, residential home prices soaring in, in the suburbs. Uh, how how does that unfold going forward? Are people still driving for the space, or as you say, they want this this closer community in the city? Yeah, I, I think I think there'll be people. Uh, have a new appreciation of, of of their home life and and being in having and having more space, but they also have an appreciation in the city. And you know, there was a period where they didn't have a choice to be in the city. Uh, you know, uh, you know, in the city this weekend, if you walked on you know Hudson River Park uh, down the the the, uh, the the west side, it was packed with people. The energy was extraordinary. The restaurants and the outdoor seating and, and even indoors, um, you know, were, were packed with people. So the city was alive. And I think as people start seeing that again and Broadway opens again and the concerts open again, people are going to want to be back. Um, now, it, the, the, the reality now is that there's going to be a mix. And so there'll be some that want to still live in the suburban communities and come into the city um, more uh, you know, regularly or not as, as, not as frequently as they have in the past. Uh, or live in the city, but then there's going to be some that want to. And I think the, the stats that I described in terms of seeing the surge I mean, the incredible surge that we've seen in, in multifamily rental market, that comeback, um, and the for sale market in New York City and luxury homes, um, I think are the, 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 the signals that, that people you know, uh, want to be in New York. And for those that moved out, new ones are going to move in. What, what role should government play in terms of incentives or whatever else it can do? I think government can play an important role in, in a couple of areas. The, the first is I think government can help set policies to help make this transition uh, smoother and less painful and guided in the right direction. So going back to the point of, of the, the office buildings that are no longer competitive 
uh, in a post-COVID world, making it easier for them to convert those buildings to, uh, to, to residential. Same thing for hotels that may no longer be competitive, converting them to residential and creating the right uh, the incentives and alignments with that. Uh, the, the next is on these restaurants and small businesses that hadn't been able uh, to, to make it through the, this crisis. We need to help incentivize uh, and support the entrepreneurs of, of the ones that, uh, of the new entrepreneurs and the older entrepreneurs to come back, reopen up their, their local businesses, their local restaurants, um, and, 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 and they're going to be anxious about it because they just looked through this experience. But we need that. That's what makes our community, that's what makes our neighborhoods, are those local restaurants and the, those local businesses. And so we need to put policies in place and incentive programs in place to support the, the, those businesses. Scott, thank you. I just want you to kind of tie things up, if you could. And basically, what do you see as the future of New York City? And how long do you think it's going to take to get there? You know, a year ago, um, when someone would ask me, what do I think about the future of New York City? I would say New York City is going to come back. The question is, um, how long is it going to take and what is it going to look like on the other side? And I was, uh, you know, more anxious about what that future held in the time a year ago because we didn't have a vaccine, um, and, you know, and there wasn't clarity as to where that was. Uh, we had fiscal challenges looming over our, over us that uh, were extraordinary. Um, and now a year later, you know, we have a, a, a city that's almost 50 percent uh, uh, inoculated with the vaccine. We have uh, federal support that has filled our holes on our on our, our fiscal challenges and more, so we can invest uh, back into the, to our city. We have infrastructure being uh, built, whether that's a new Moynihan Station or airports or Grand Central. So, you know, I really think that we're going to see much more of a V-shaped recovery um, for this city. It's going to be, a, in my opinion, a roaring twenties. Uh, of a recovery starting uh, th this summer into the fall. Now, not everything's going to recover equally, and, uh, and and I think we have to address that, right? I think there's going to be people and, and parts of our community that haven't benefited uh, from uh, the economic recovery and people who have lost their jobs or been dislocated from industries that are no longer viable in a post-COVID world, and we have to be intentional to support those groups. Um, but I think in terms of, from a macro standpoint, um, we're going to have a much stronger recovery uh, than anyone anticipated. And uh, and then it comes down to leadership. You know, we have a new mayor coming out to New York City, and it's going to be critical that that, that new mayor helps us plan for a, a more equitable, a more sustainable, a more prosperous New York City uh, and brings us all together around that plan to execute it. Just like happened after 9-11, we came together. We had a decade of prosperity. We need the same thing to happen now. Our thanks to Scott Reckler, Chairman and CEO of RxR Realty, with our Peter Haskell. Thanks also to NYU's Mitchell Moss. With restrictions being lifted almost every day now, and with New York City workers returning to the office 80,000 strong, it does seem plausible that recovery will be rapid. It's a story we will be following for sure. 880 In-Depth is a production of WCBS News Radio 880. You can listen to it on your time as a weekly podcast. Just look for 880 In Depth wherever you get your audio and specifically on the Odyssey app.
That's Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y. For Peter Haskell, I'm Tim Scheld. As always, be safe. closer kenley jansen we have a question what's the best podcast of all time baseball isn't boring baby i'm rob bradford and every single day i'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game it's my podcast it's my passion it's a cause i started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is another fact so jump aboard the bib express follow and listen to baseball isn't boring presented by wasabi hot cloud storage on the free odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts